the smiles and the welcomes and the greetings really are a tonic. Uh, Eva's going to come read the word of God for us in Joshua chapter 1 and then chapter 5. Good morning. It's great to be back among friends again. Thank you for having us. The reading today starts in Joshua chapter 1, and then we'll read a bit in chapter 5, in the beginning of chapter 6. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert and from Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, and to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What great promises. And then chapter 5, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, While camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. Then Joshua fell down, face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These days we're familiar with stories of multiple peoples who are terribly deprived and in serious need. But uh, throughout history, 
there probably haven't been very many as desperate as the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt, so they were free. They just had no food, no water, no laws, no schools, no structure, no land, no homes. Otherwise, they were fine. <laughs> the only people more needy than that, I think, are you and me. And that's what we've been thinking about just now. But God spoke to them and he said, I have a proposition for you. Or if you're of a more romantic frame of mind, a proposal. (laughs) I will be your God, you will be my people. We're going to be in partnership. This is how it works. I'll be God. You'll be my people. Well, that sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But um, the proposition depends on three prepositions. (laughs) We'll get better, I assure you. (laughs) Three prepositions. And the prepositions are you, you, and you. The first you is under. Modern versions of the Bible just obscure the thought a little bit. And uh, sometimes they think they're being helpful by updating the language. When God spoke to Joshua, he said, every place that the sole of your foot treads on, that I have given you. You It's a done deal. I have given it to you. Uh, Some of the modern versions say, every place that you put your sandal, it's not it. Then you get a repetition when Joshua arrives close to Jericho. And he's been Moses' understudy for 40 years. And no doubt Moses was a hard act to follow. But quite often people in the number two slot are quite ambitious about occupying the number one slot when it takes 40 years to get there. <laughs> well, at last. <laughs> and maybe he'd spent a few years planning for himself an impressive-looking uniform. You know, maybe a few stars and stripes. And, <laughs> and here he is. Um, but his first assignment is Jericho. And he probably wondered, why do we have to come this way? Jericho is a big city. Its walls are massive. The houses built on top of them. The gates are closed. They're prepared to withstand the months of siege. The Israelites have no weapons, no experience, no trained soldiers. how are we going to capture this city? Because we can't leave it there with all those troops behind us. 
And so he is investigating the problem. And from a distance, Jericho probably doesn't look all that big, but the closer he gets to it, the bigger it appears. And now he's got pretty close to it, and he's really not at all sure of how to tackle this problem. And he's reviewing a few ideas. You know, maybe we could uh, cut down a few trees, trim the branches off, train as Olympic athletes, pick up the tree trunks and pound the gates with them until we get inside. The main problem with that is they've already cut down all the trees and haven't left us any. So what's plan B? Well, we could study mining engineering and drill a tunnel under the walls and come up inside and surprise them that way. But this is very sandy soil and it doesn't tunnel very well and we don't really have any digging equipment. That perhaps won't work. Maybe we should take all take off our underwear and tie it together and tie it between two big rocks and put a man in the middle and pull him back and shoot him up. The only problem with that is they're not going to invent elastic for about three and a half thousand years. So we probably can't wait that long. And so Joshua is really wondering how on earth do we capture Jericho? And he's forgetting what God has said, every place that the sole of your foot treads on, I have given you. I'm not expecting you to win it. I've given it to you. It's a done deal. And as Joshua is contemplating this, he's confronted by what he describes as a man with a drawn sword in his hand. It's actually Jesus. It's an exciting prospect of Jesus with a drawn sword. And Joshua, full of self-confidence, swaggers up and says, Hey, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? (laughs) And Jesus says, No. No. I'm not on their side and I'm not on your side. I'm the commander of the armies of heaven. Whose side are you on? And Joshua thinks, wow, am I glad to see you. (laughs) If you're the commander, this is your responsibility, not mine. It's great relief, isn't it? (laughs) So, what is your strategy for getting Jericho? We thought of these various ideas. What's yours? And Jesus says, take off your sandals. That's his strategy for the conquest of Jericho. Take your shoes off. How do you conquer a city by doing that? Well, you buy nylon socks and plastic shoes and keep them on night and day for three weeks in hot weather. And then you all go upwind of the city and on the trumpet blast you all take your shoes off and the breeze passes your steaming feet and the inhabitants of the city run out throwing away their weapons and say, I surrender. Well, maybe not. See, the person without shoes was a slave. 
in the presence of his master. And what Jesus is saying is, Joshua, you've got to get this clear. I'm the Lord, you're the servant. Take your shoes off. And that probably didn't fit with Joshua's dream of the impressive uniform he was going to be wearing. Go around looking like a slave. (coughs) But he did it. And the moment his shoes were off, Jesus said to him, See, I have given you Jericho. It's over. (coughs) The very first principle of God's proposition is we live under his authority. He's the Lord, we're the servants. Our only responsibility is to do what he tells us. Then, as we move on with the Lord, he keeps confronting us with these impossible situations. Jericho was Joshua's. What about the disciples? Well, one evening after a long day in the desert, no shade, you get tired and thirsty. And sometimes disciples tend to think, yeah, this day's gone on long enough. <laughs> we need a break here. But all these people milling about, how do we get rid of them? <laughs> so they approach Jesus and they say something like, you know, it's been a wonderful day. There have been all these healings and teachings, amazing. But it won't be much help if these people die of starvation now. And there's no food here, so why don't you send them away so they can go and get themselves some food? And Jesus says, well, it's a great idea, but why don't you feed them? I mean, if you're all that concerned about them, why don't you feed them? And uh, this maybe sounded like a great idea to begin with until they began to consider the logistics Roughly 10,000 people in total. How much food is that going to take? And when they examine their resources, they come up with two sardines and five minuscule bread rolls. And one disciple can eat that with no problem. <laughs> Share it with five to 10,000? I'm not sure. <clears throat> So Jesus says, tell the people to sit down. So they sit down expectantly. (laughs) And it's going to be an awful fiasco if nothing happens, isn't it? And Jesus talks to his father. (laughs) Father, this is going to be great. Thank you so much for this. This is wonderful. And he knows that his father's got it. And then he starts breaking up their meager resources and handing it out to the disciples. And now you've got a restaurant with 10,000 people with 12 waiters. (laughs) That's hard work. (laughs) They were tired before. (laughs) 
<clears throat> but they all eat in the field, which is pretty amazing because probably many of them couldn't remember when they were last filled. They were poor people. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, I want you to go and collect up what's left over. <laughs> and you can almost hear the heavy machinery inside the skulls of the disciple clunking over. What's left over? That's insane. There are only five rolls and two sardines to begin with. It's not going to take 12 of us to go and pick up what's left of it. In any case, he doesn't know these people. They don't leave leftovers. <laughs> They're like locusts or Bible college students. They, they eat everything in sight. <laughs> but they go and, and everyone collects a basket full for their own needs. And to emphasize the need to do Christian arithmetic. See, the arithmetic they had done to begin with was like this. Five rolls plus two sardines equals pathetic. <laughs> it's not going to do it. Five rolls plus two sardines plus one Jesus equals everything you need and 12 baskets full left over. Because preposition number two is upon. Under his authority, upon his sufficiency. It doesn't depend on you. Jericho didn't depend on Joshua. Feeding the disciples, uh, feeding the 10,000 didn't depend on the disciples. But his sufficiency. And they had to learn to reckon on that. Very few people learn that lesson for the first time off. So he repeats it. And Jesus stays behind with the people and sends them away and sends the disciples away to cross Galilee in their boat. Go across the lake. So, okay, we can do this. We know about that we're not in the restaurant business. That was an unfair job to give us. But we do know about sailing boats. And so they head across the lake till they run into a storm. It's very unfair to do that to them, wasn't it, really? And at first they're pretty confident they've been in storms before. But the storm keeps increasing and they're getting panicky. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And I love that picture. I want to leave it with you. The waves that were threatening to overwhelm them, and we all experience waves in life sometimes, don't we? The waves that were threatening to overwhelm them were under his feet. That's what we mean when we say he is Lord. He really is.
over every wave. I don't know what waves you've got in your life at the moment, but I know where Jesus is. And when they first see him, they think he's a ghost, and they cry out in fear, and quite a lot of people have that reaction when they're confronted with Jesus for a new time. <coughs> and he says, all right, guys, it's me. <coughs> and Peter thinks, uh, opens the mouth as usual, <coughs> if that's you, invite me to join you out there. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he's walking on the waves to go to Jesus. And what he's doing is actually demonstrating, he doesn't know it, he's demonstrating a real Christian life. Every step he takes, and he's take one step, and then one step, and one step, every step is a miracle. He can't do this. Step is bringing him closer to Jesus. The Christian life is a progress in intimacy with Jesus and Christ likeness in our behavior. And so here he is demonstrating a Christian walk, how you take every step <laughs> until he forgets to look at Jesus and he becomes preoccupied with the wind and the waves and he thinks I've never done this before (laughs) what am I doing out here I've carefully never gotten this situation all my years of fishing (coughs) and uh, because he's right he can't do it we can't And so suddenly he's going under for the third time and he can't swim. (laughs) He's in serious difficulty. And Jesus pulls him out. The Christian life is lived upon his sufficiency. And as you live that way, you can walk on the water. As you live that way, you can feed the 10,000. You can do anything that he tells you to do. And he's going to tell you to do impossible things. That's how he gets glorified. And his strength is seen in our weakness. Under his authority... Take his shoes off. Upon his sufficiency, trust him. Get out of the boat. Unto his glory. The Apostle Paul was in prison and he'd not yet had a trial. He was due to be on trial any day. The verdict could be death or it could be release or it could be indefinite prison. doesn't know. And he's praying, most people do under those circumstances. <clears throat> What's he praying? 
God. Can you get me out of here? <laughs> he has one overriding desire. He writes to the Philippians about it and asks for their prayer help in this. So that thing I will be But in everything, he will be magnified as always. I know I'm perfectly capable of bringing disgrace onto the name of Christ, particularly in those kind of circumstances. But it's been, says Paul, my life's habit to always see that he is glorified whatever I do, wherever he puts me. And it's always been that way and it's got to be that way now. Because the Christian life is lived unto his glory. His reputation that matters, nobody else. So, I have a proposal for you. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. You desperately need that, but here are the conditions. Under my authority, upon my sufficiency, unto my glory. Amen.